tonight. Uh, we're, we left off in chapter earlier, I think we, we were close to chapter 13. I did some of this on, on the internet or on my podcast, but I want to cover a little bit. Basically, from chapter 13 till chapter 23, a lot of it is a section which Isaiah prophesies against a bunch of different countries or nations you call uh some commentaries call it isaiah's woe oracles because he's pronouncing woe on these we're going to kind of go through them we're not going to get into every one of them uh in chapters 23 through 13 or 13 through 23 as he pronounced he presents the the reader with common prophetic theme god is jealous for the trust of his people he yearns for them to that they'll be that they'll turn to him so he can deliver them even to the degree that they forsake all others and trust in him alone but they had a problem with that you know it's amazing god blesses them god gives them miracles but yet they still wanted to turn to these other nations and 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 not ask him for help so he gives them a lot of warnings about it he he's he 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 gives a lot declarations of destruction that's going to happen and it's to serve as a warning for judah to withstand any temptation to make an alliance with it with their neighbors and hopes of defeating the assyrians that were were coming against them you know isaiah announced that since there was in fact a, a case that the neighbors of israel and judah would soon be destroyed any hope but the lord's kind of futile uh but they don't see that they say, well, look at Egypt, look at Ethiopia, look at all these countries. If we all band together, but one, all these countries hated each other, so that probably wasn't going to happen. Uh, so Isaiah's message has implications for the nations to whom Israel and Judah would be delivered, and that they shouldn't boast when the Syrians came upon Israel and Judah. It, it was funny. Uh, Assyria was a very warlike nation, and all these other nations would say, well, ha-ha, they're going after them. But they didn't realize that after them, they're going somewhere else and somewhere else. It was, Assyria was never never satisfied, and they kind of advanced and engulfed them. The, the, basically, what was bad, even though it was going to be bad for, for, for Israel and, and Judah, it was actually going to be worse for a lot of the other countries. So... Isaiah prophesies he calls for these nations to recognize God. And I want to look a little bit about it. In in chapter 13, uh, he talks about Babylon's going to be swept away. And while Babylon will be destroyed by the Medes as their king was thrown down, Isaiah predicted something different for the future of God's people. He said this in in chapter 14. He said, For the Lord will have compassion on Jacob and would return Israel again. He will settle them in their own land. They will make captives of their captors and will rule over the oppressors. So he, he promised that, that this, this one would not be forever, that they would actually overcome it. And then in, in chapter 13, towards the end of it, he talked about Assyria would be destroyed. You know, is, Isaiah informed God's people that the present crisis was not unknown to God, even though they, some of them kind of think that. He planned it, and there was a purpose for it, and he was carrying it to completion. Uh, so their only hope was to repent and humble themselves before God. You know, uh, isn't it amazing sometimes when you see trouble, how many people say, well, there is no God, God's not doing nothing. And that's what a lot of them were saying. Now, in, in thirteen, chapter 13, in verses 28 and 32, he talks about the, the Philistines. 
Philistia. Uh, they were the sea people. And God is God through Isaiah warns them not to celebrate the destruction of Israel and Judah. He said, for a cloud was coming from the north and, and there was no one missing the invaders' ranks. So basically he said, Syria is going to overtake you too. Uh, a lot of people try to say that the Philistines are the, the their descendants became the Palestinians. I, I, heard, I was reading a bunch of them and people say that that's where they come from, but in reality, the, the, they're not. Uh, the, the Palestinians are kind of, they were nomadic from all kind of different people. Uh, they came out of Saudi Arabia, they came out of Jordan, they came out of Turkey. They Basically, they were just wanderers and they just kind of settled. Uh, they were kind of the, the low class and of uh, those pe- different nations and they just settled in this one area. Now, in, in chapters 15 and 16, he uh, talks about Moab would be devastated. So following Isaiah's pronouncements against Judah's Transjordan neighbors and all the ones around them, the prophet again emphasized God's superiority that people would enjoy in the sight of those who would chastise them. So he he talks about the 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 the, the Moabite sage and and different things that would happen to them when the oppressor was gone, the destruction in and the marauders have vanished from the land. He said, then in the tent of David, a throne will be established by faithful love. A judge who seeks what is right and is quick to execute judgment will sit on this throne forever. So in those verses, he talks about Christ coming back. We're going to get into one in just a second. I promise you. Uh, so actually, if y'all want to go ahead and turn to Isaiah chapter 17, that's where we're heading to Isaiah chapter 17. He starts off and he talks about Damascus and he calls it the burden of Damascus and through verses one through three, he talks about Damascus is going to be be ruined. We're going to start a little further down. We're going to start in chapter 17, verse seven, and we're going to talk about what's going to happen to Israel. So he's talked about a lot of the neighbors that the neighbors are going to be destroyed by Assyria as they come. And now he's going to get into to Israel, what's going to happen to them. And, and so we're going to look, let's look at verses 7 through 11. It says, now this is after Damascus has fallen. He says, at that day shall a man look to his maker, and his eyes shall have respect to the Holy One of Israel. He shall not look to the altars and to the work of his hands, neither shall he res- respect that which his fingers have made, either the groves or the images. In that day shall his strong cities be as forsaken burrows and the utmost branch, which they left because of the children of Israel. And there shall be desolation, because thou hast forgotten God of thy salvation, and hast not been mindful of the rock of thy strength. Therefore shall thou plant pleasant plants, and shall set with strange slips. In that day thou shalt make thy plant to grow, and in the morning shalt thou make thy seed to flourish. But the harvest shall be a heap in the day of grief and of desperate sorrow. So they, they're going to become desperate, and after the destructive, uh, they're going to realize that they need to look to God. Kind of like you think uh, a lot of people now, it, it's... As we have been in our, our I guess you can say, uh, stay at home, I'm trying to, uh, 
quarantine. Yeah, I was trying to think of the word there. Quarantine. It was amazing how many views we had of our Facebook page uh, as we came and, and we, we broadcast the, the sermons. Uh, every one of them, two, close to 250 views every Sunday. And so that's a lot of folks watching. Now, not all of them watched it all the way through, but we had a good bit that watched a lot of it. So people were, were seeking God. Why? Because of the virus and of the things that's going on. Uh, you know, if we, we were blessed the fact that, the, that because of the, the separation, it wasn't as bad. Uh, but you look at, look at New York, for example, how many people they lost because of it. You know, they, they did not start quick enough. Look at what happened in New Orleans, you know, Mardi Gras. You know, as we was talking earlier, what's going to happen now because of the open beach? And I understand why a lot of people look at it. They say, well, I didn't get sick. We didn't get that sick. But then you have to think about what about, the, even here in Calhoun County, about what about the few that did die? You know, most of them were not older people. They were not sickly. They caught it. They died. We now have children who had it, got better, and now they're dying from something different because of it. So a lot of people started looking to God. Just like he said, Isaiah said, he said, you're going to stop because of the desolation around you and you're going to start to look to your maker. Because he said that, he said that day, a man shall look to his maker and his eyes shall have respect to the Holy One of Israel. So at that day, he'll look to his eyes, eyes shall have respect. In the midst of severe judgment, some will respond as they should with humble respect for God. Just like some people responded humbly to the Lord. Now, some people, just like when we had 9-11, do y'all remember that? Churches filled up. The question was, how many people continued to stay you know, after the, the, the initial tragedy's over, some listen to the Lord, but a lot will go right back to the way they were before. And so it was the same thing here. Now, it says he will, it, it goes into the things that they said that the, once they start looking to God, it said in the next verse, he said this, he says, he says, they shall not look to the altars, the works of his hands, neither shall respect that which his fingers have made, either the groves or the images. What was bad in Israel, here's God's people, they were resulting before all this tragedy to idolatry. Now, if you remember in the very beginning of the book of Isaiah, God's talking about how they were coming to church and they were worshiping. He said, but who asked you to do this? Because the reason was they were church on Sunday, idols on Monday. It was kind of a mixture. This was just something else they were going through. They didn't mean it. They were more interested in the idol. So he says, now they're going to look at the stuff they made and they're going to realize this didn't help. What idols do we have today? Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest ones right there. I think more people worship their cell phone than they do anything. Video game. Have you ever noticed that, that how addictive a cell phone is? Yeah, there, there. That's that's one of our biggest ones. There is the accumulation of stuff as ourselves get, and that seems to be, I think, our biggest idol that we have. We are our own idol, and, and so that. But you know, 
we're the ones who create our own selves. But I think a lot of people has learned recently that really, you know, it don't take long to lose everything. And, and so it, so he, he's reminded this, he says, they're going to see it. Now, he, he goes on a little bit further into the next verse. He says, and in that day, his strong cities be as forsaken or branches and the utmost branch. So their, their, their cities are going to be forsaken. In judgment, God will strip away Israel from every wrong thing that they might have trusted in. Start off with the, 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 the altars and the images. But they also trusted in their strong cities. Israel had some very well-fortified cities that they claimed would never fall. There had been battles before. The walls were never breached. And so they, they, they really believed that their army was going to overcome this problem. But when the Assyrians came, it didn't help. They were experts at siege. They were experts at, at destroying cities. So uh, one of their strongest cities that they claimed would never, Lachish, would never be destroyed. Boom, it fell. So they, there was no hope. Uh, they thought, is, they thought uh, Jerusalem would never fall. What was they in for a shock? What kept the cities from falling was God. But when he removed his hand of protection, there was nothing there to protect them. So the, everything they trusted in was gone. And you think about this, a lot of people trust in a lot of stuff, but if God would remove his hand of protection and you lose it all, then what do you got? Well, some people do, some people don't. That's the problem. That was what Israel was having. Uh, instead of turning to God, they were still, some of them did, but some of them didn't. Why they had to go through what they had to go through is because many of them wouldn't turn to God. You know, uh, some people rely on, on riches. And you think about how I, I was listening that one day and the, they had come out with another stimulus package idea. And I love this one. This was, I think, the best one I'd heard. And and, and everybody was going to get $2,000. Didn't matter your age, didn't matter what. Then the way they were going to pay for it, they were going to make more money. They were going to give tell the treasurer to make two coins that were going to be worth a trillion dollars. Well, you know, you can make as print as much money if you want, but if you don't have something to base it off of, all you're doing is creating more and more inflation. Our our national our, our money used to be based off a of gold reserve. Y'all, how many of y'all remember silver certificates? They were based off of a silver reserve. Well, now our money's based off our gross national product. But if we're not producing anything, we're not selling anything. We're just printing money. We'd be like countries like Brazil where their money is absolutely worthless. And so you can rely on the wrong thing. You rely on money, you rely on that for your future, you got problems. Uh, you know, uh, I look at the well, time I retire, there ain't gonna be nothing there. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I was talking to one guy, we were talking about his parents, his mother had retired from fruit of the loom 
and she had worked hard all of her life and I think her retirement was like $20 a month. Anyway, years and years and years ago, that was a lot of money. $20 a month now when you buy you a two liter drink. And so, you know, if you rely on, on yeah, yeah. So th they were relying on the wrong things. They were relying on these cities. They were relying on, on these idols. And so God says they're going to be like, like a, a tree that's been stripped. How many of you ever, you know, if you, was, if you had an apple tree in your yard and you didn't own a, a ladder, you would be able to get apples up to about right here, all the way around the bottom, and then you couldn't reach the top. And so that's what he's compared to. He's going to say, you're going to be, he says, Israel's going to be like a tree that everything's been gotten except for the very high branches. There'll be a little bit there left to survive. Not enough to feed you, but just enough to survive. So that's what he's talking about with these, with these pleasant, with the, the, these, the being like the forsaken brought rows or branches, the utmost branches. He says, uh, we say left because the children of Israel. He said, there, but there's going to be a little bit there, but not a lot. Verses 10 and 11, he tells them this. He says, he says, now he says, but thou hast forsaken God of thy salvation and has not been mindful of the rock of thy strength. Therefore thou shalt plant pleasant plants and it shall set up with strange slips. In that day thou shalt make thy plants grow, and in the morning thou shalt make thy seed flourish. But the harvest shall be a heap in the day of grief and desperate sorrows. So you, when you plant pleasant plants, you, you, you make your seeds to flourish, and your harvest isn't going to be worth a, a flip. So one of God's judgments on Israel was all their hard work that they were fixing to do was for nothing. We, I remember one year we planted a squash plant in our, our little garden we got. Man, it grew. It was huge. You know how much squash we got off that plant? One little bitty one. And the bugs got it. It destroyed everything else in the garden. We thought, man, we can't grow much, but we can grow some squash. There was flowers all over that thing and then it didn't do worth the flip we worked hard on that thing and we didn't get nothing out of it so i can understand that verse you might think look at all the hard work they said look at everything we've done but it's not going to be any good this is a, a devastating kind of judgment when you think about it you're going to work hard but nothing's going to come of it <coughs> haggai verse six, chapter one verse six speaks this listen to what he says he said in that, he said, you have so much, but bring in little. You eat, but have not enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You, cl you clothe you, but there is none warm. He that earneth wages, earneth wages to be put in a bag with holes. So God's warned them about this time and time again. He says, you, Israel, you're, you, be, you think you've got everything, but you're missing the most important thing in life. Your, your food's not enough, your drink's not enough, money's no, is not enough because you're going to lose it all. You're missing the most important thing. It, it, it's better to, to, to do like what Jesus said. 
Listen to this in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. It says, And it came to pass, when the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake Gennesaret. Then they saw two ships standing by the lake, and the fishermen were gone from them, washing their nets. And he entered into the ships, which was Simon, and prayed that he would thrust out a little from the land. He sat down, and he taught the people out of the ship. Now when he left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep, let down your nets for the drought. And Simon answering him, said unto him, Master, we have toiled all night, and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, we'll let down the net. We all know the story. Simon didn't want to do it, because think about it. He's a fisherman. He's been up all night. They fished at night. Here's this man who is definitely not a fisherman. He wants to use the boat for a platform to speak. He lets them. He listens to them. Then Jesus says, let's launch your boats out and let your nets down. Now, could you imagine the thought going through Peter's mind? What do you know? But he says this. I, I always like what he says. But he says, but nevertheless, at thy word, I'll do it. Because, Jesus, you told me to, I'll do it. He's obedient, but he's not fully obedient. And, and so he, 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 he lets down the nets. Now, remember what happens when they pull the nets. It was so much it started to break. He was obedient. God blessed them. When you're obedient, God bless them. So this, it's the same principle back here. God's trying to tell them. If they would have been halfway obedient, God would have blessed them. But they weren't even that much. They didn't even want to halfway do it. You know, Peter did it. You know, then he got blessed. God's just saying, quit relying on everything and rely on me. Have some faith. He's, he, he's not telling us today, he's not saying, he's, he, you know, he wants us to be perfect. The Bible says be ye perfect because he's perfect. But now that's a that's a, a thing to achieve to to work to. He's not saying before I bless you, you've got to become perfect. You just got to try, try, try. Israel, try. And Israel's like, well, we we're okay. And so he, he gives them this. So you know, why did God bring this judgment on them? Why do you think God brought a judgment like this on the people? You're going to work hard but it's not going to be enough because yeah, because of their disobedience. You know, uh, in one way, it's like this. You know, when you are saved and you forgot, you forget God, which we all tend to do. How many of us will, we know we were saved. We know if God, well, if we was to get run over by a bus in the parking lot, we know we're going to heaven, but how many of us are obedient all the time? See, nobody is, because we do tend to do just like Israel did. We tend to forget him when things are going good. And that's what they thought. Well, Assyria's not here yet. We're doing okay. Well, you, you think about their, their battle strategy they had. Okay, we, we've defended a few cities. Quick, let's strip the temple of gold and try to buy our way out of it. Let's try to find somebody else to help us. Let's do this, let's do that, instead of let's turn to God. Anybody else besides me ever been guilty of that? 
And so he says, I had to get your attention one way or the other. You know, he created you, and because God created you, he knows all about you. Think about this. Does Satan need to make us bank robbers or murderers to destroy us? How does he destroy Christians? Changes their heart. Changes their heart and gives us where we don't have... Takes away our joy. Takes away our desire. You know, uh, makes you just content. I, I know in my life there's been times where I've grown content in my walk. And everything seemed to be fine. And then all of a sudden I realize, man... Nothing is right. I'm not getting anything out of God's word. I'm not enjoying it like I should. And the reason why is because I became content and I slowly started to drift. And my focus changed. And so that's what he's trying to get their their attention so that they wouldn't forget God. They knew who he was because you think in Jerusalem, in the center of the city was the temple. The temple was God's house. There were people there who were older who could remember when the temple was dedicated, when the cloud came and and the Shekinah glory of God came and filled the place that the priest couldn't even walk in. You had a man of God prophesying to you. And yet, here's in the center of all this, they still forgot God. They, They just kind of started looking away. Calvin said this, he said, we are, we are thus reminded that we ought not to be so impatient in enduring chastisements, which cure us of the fearful, dangerous disease of apostasy. And you think about how we become apostic in the things that we forget. Now, listen to what he says, verses 12 through 14. He says, woe to the multitude of many people which make a noise like the noise of the seas, and to the rushing of nations, like make a rushing like the rushing of mighty waters. The nations shall rush like the rushing of many waters, and the God shall rebuke them, and they shall flee far off, and shall be chastened like the chaff of the mountains before the wind, like the rolling things before the whirlwind. And behold, evening time is troubled, and before the morning he is not. This is the portion of them that spoil us, and the lot of them that has robbed us. So here's these nations who, who basically had made all kind of claims. We'll help you. We'll be there for you. We'll stand up with you. But when trouble came, they were gone. They were like the, 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 the chaff that's blown if, when the wind comes. So he, he does this. He talks about this. Now, the next verse is a country you wouldn't think about. He talks about Ethiopia. Um, how many of you ever heard of the big mighty power of Ethiopia? It, it, I, I didn't really think about it until I read this verse and, it, and, and did a little study on it. Ethiopia was actually a very powerful country at one time. You wouldn't think about it now, you know, because think about, uh, y'all think back in the 80s when they were all starving to death. So here, here it is. Let, he, he says that this, he says, Woe to the land shadowing with wings, which is beyond the rivers of Ethiopia that sendeth ambassadors to the sea and even vessels of bulrush upon the water saying go swiftly messengers to a nation scattered and peeled and to 
a people terrible from their beginnings hereto, and the nation melted out of the trodden down, whose lands the rivers have yet spoiled. Uh, so he, he talks. This this is talking about uh, Ethiopia, and he, he's he's directing this word to them. Bolton said this. He says all the prophecy is short. One probably it ranks as the most obscure chapter in the whole section. Wool said this is one of the most obscure prophecies in the whole book of Isaiah because nobody thinks about Ethiopia being anything. When he talks about the rivers beyond Ethiopia, in Isaiah's day, Ethiopia, like I said, was a major world power. Uh, and like I said, it's hard to believe because they didn't do a lot in history. They didn't really record their history. Uh, you had Egypt, Ethiopia, and Assyria as your main power. And since Judah's kind of caught in the middle of all these, they, they, they thought, well, we can align ourselves with Egypt, we can align ourselves with Ethiopia because they're so powerful. Nobody messes with them. One of the reasons nobody messed with them, they were so far away. So, but in, in 17, 715 BC, an Ethiopian named Shabanko gained control of Egypt as the founder of the 25th dynasty. So Ethiopian dominion continued into six. 33 BC when a native Egyptian regained the throne. So they became part of Egypt. They took over Egypt. That's one of the reasons why we don't hear about it because it was an Egyptian dynasty for all those years that, that nobody wanted to talk about. Because the in, in Egypt's history, Ethiopia was destroyed by them and became their slaves. But in the middle of all that, they rebelled and they took over. So he goes through it and he talks about the, he, he, he gives a, he says, he, he, let, let me find the back verse. He says, all ye inhabitants of the world, the dwellers of the earth, see ye when the, when he lineth up the inside on the mountains, when he bloweth the trumpet, ye hear ye. For the Lord said unto me, I will take my rest and I'll consider the dwelling place like clear heat upon the herbs and the cloud of dew and the heat of harvest. And therefore the harvest, when his bud is perfect and the sour grapes is ripening flower, he shall both cut off the springs and pruning hooks and take away and cut down the branches. And they shall be left together with the fowls of the mountain, the beasts of the earth, and the fowls of the summer upon them, and the beasts of the earth shall winter upon them. So here, here's this country, and, and it, he, God's going to... he he gives us some pictures here of it when he talks about the ambassadors of the sea. The, the scene, think about this. Uh, Ethiopia had a major fleet of boats that were made out of reeds, but they traded everywhere. So they were really powerful. And so they went, he, he describes them, the people there. He talks about the messengers. He says, scattered and peeled. Does that sound like a, a wonderful looking group of people? The, when the words there, scattered and peeled, scattered is mashak, and peeled is morat, and it means, scattered means tall, and peeled means polished. So the description Isaiah gives here is these proud, tall people who were polished. And if y'all remember, if you know anything about Ethiopia, the Ethiopians are very, very, very black. I mean, they are very, so their description is very tall and very shiny. 
is what he's trying to tell them. He says, so they're messengers. They go everywhere. They were welcomed everywhere because of trade. Uh, an Ethiopian ambassador invited Judah to rebel against the Assyrians. They went and they said, hey, join us. And here's why Ethiopia wanted them to do this. Assyria's here. Judah's here. Egypt's here. Here's Ethiopia. If we get them, they'll attack Assyria and Assyria will never get past them. We'll kind of help them a little bit. We're going to throw them to the wolves. Trust us, Judah. We've got your back. So that, that was kind of what they wanted them to do. And so, you know, God tells them to, he, to reject the offer. He, said, he tells them, he says, you know, the Lord says unto me, I will take my rest, as he says in verse 3 through 6. He's telling them, don't do it. He says, I'll give you rest in verse 4. I will consider my dwelling place like the clear heat upon the herbs. He says, I will watch over you. Uh, he would, But they, he, they wouldn't listen to him. Now he goes off a little bit. He goes into it. He says, he will both cut the sprigs and the, with the pruning hoods and cut away the branches. God said, I'll, I'll, I'll take Assyria and I'll cut them down. I'll, I'll, I'll make them smaller than what they are. Now, look at verse 7. He made a promise to Ethiopia. He says, in that time, if, if, if Judah would have obeyed God, trusted the Lord, here's what he would have done for Ethiopia. He says, in that time, the presence shall be brought unto the Lord of hosts, and the people scattered and peeled from a people terrible from their beginnings hereto a nation melted out of the trodden underfoot whose land the rivers has spoiled to the place the name of the Lord of hosts the Mount of Zion. God promised that he would basically in these verse here it's that he would bring Ethiopia under him. Think about something. God did that. It took a long time. Y'all remember Philip? Remember the his run to a chariot with the Ethiopian eunuch? So God actually fulfilled this part. It took a long time, but God took Ethiopia and brought the gospel to them. So, and there is a, a, one of the oldest surviving Christian churches in the Middle East is found in Ethiopia. There was a strong Christian nation in Ethiopia for a long time. There still is. Uh, many people believe there's a church down there. That's where the Ark of the Covenant's at. I don't believe that, but they, they claim they won't let nobody in it. You know, if I had that, it would be in there. So, you know, the, so he he does fulfill it. He brings the news of the gospel to them. So they, they, there must have been some there who trusted God, but not all of them. It was the same in, in, in Israel. Some did, some didn't. You know, he goes into chapter 19, and he talks about the Egypt would be delivered from destruction. Uh, to fortify God's people against the vain alliance with Egypt, the Lord told Isaiah to go about, listen, go about naked for three years. Yeah. Could you imagine being God's man? He wants to make a, a word picture. And if you're God's man, 
He, he wanted them to show, don't trust people, is what he's trying to get them. He said, the burden of Egypt, behold, the Lord rise with clouds, and he shall come into Egypt, and idols shall be moved at his presence. The heart of Egypt shall melt in the midst of it. I will set the Egyptians against the Egyptians, and they shall fight everyone against his brother, and everyone against his neighbor, and city against city, and kingdom against kingdom. And so he, he goes into this long, long story about what he's going to do to them in chapter 19 of, of what he's going to do with the Egyptians. And, and so he, to get their attention, and when he gets to, to, to chapter 20, he's talked about Egypt. He's talked about Ethiopia. Now listen to what he says. In the year that Tartan became, came unto Ashad, when Sargon the king of Assyria sent him and fought against Ashad and took it, at the same time spake the Lord by Isaiah, the son of Amos, saying, Go, loose the sackcloth from thy loins, put off thy shoe from thy foot. And he did so, and walked naked and barefoot. And the Lord said, Like my servant Isaiah hath walked naked and barefoot three years for a sign, and wander about Egypt and Ethiopia. God told Isaiah, I want you to humble yourself and you're going to strip all your clothes off and you're going to walk around Jerusalem as a word picture for me. To, to walk around naked was very humbling and I guess, yeah, disgraceful. You got to remember, Isaiah was a friend of the king's. <laughs> yeah. So Isaiah, I want you to strip off your clothes. You're going to walk around like somebody who can't even afford clothes. And it was a picture. This is the humility that's going to happen to Ethiopia and Egypt because they're trying to take you from me. I'm going to humble them. I'm going to take Ethiopia. I'm going to strip them. I'm going to take away their, their food. I'm going to take away their power. Egypt's going to become a country that wars against itself. It will never be the power it was before or wants to be. He said, Isaiah, you're going to show people what it's like to be humble. Like I'm fixing to do to them. Because of what they're causing you to do. So Isaiah had to strip down. Now, uh, he, one commentator says he stripped down to basically his underwear. One commentator said, no, this reads that he stripped down to nothing and walked naked because naked meant naked. But for three years, he did this. But what's funny is God gives a timeline here in this verse so that people could trace it back to exactly when it happened. Because he says, in the year that Tartan came unto Ashad. So this happened... Uh, in the year that Tartan came to Ashad, describes the Assyrian army conquers the Philistine city of Assyria, of Ashad. Tartan, this happened in 711 BC. Tartan was not a person, he was the field marshal. He was the head of the army. Sargon sent him to there to destroy him. History records it happened in 711 BC. Judah had not fallen, Jerusalem had not fallen at this time. It's known that Isaiah was there at that time. So at that time, Isaiah walked around naked. God gave us a concrete point in history that we say, this is when it happened. A lot of people, 
throughout history try to take the Bible, try to take different things, say, well, it couldn't have happened the way the Bible says, timelines don't add up, but this one point shows exactly, yes, it does. The exact time. So the Philistines were the neighbors of, of Israel, and so what this was to show is go, hey, Israel, this is your closest city from your nearest neighbor. Guess who's next? My man's walking around humbling himself. You might want to take notice of what he's doing. And so in verse 2 of chapter 20, he tells him, this is at the same time when the Lord spoke to, to, to Isaiah. So he's saying, I'm going to give you a sign. I want you to do it because I really want them to understand what's happening. I guarantee you when word got out that Isaiah is walking around naked, people took up notice. You remember when later uh, God makes his, his prophets do some strange things. Y'all remember what he had uh, Jeremiah do? He had to lay on his side for so many months, then turn around and lay on his other side for so many months. God told him to make bread and cook it over a fire of dung. First, he told him to use his own dung. And Jeremiah's like, ooh, no. God said, okay, you can use cow. But that would have been very nasty bread. That's about the only way you can say it. And he had, and it was a word picture of the hump of what was fixing to happen. I'm fixing to besiege your city from all sides. But people didn't listen. Isaiah's walking around naked. He's proclaiming what God's fixing to do. People don't listen. You know, they, 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 the, the sign here in verse, he tells us in verse 5 and 6, it goes down and it says, They shall be afraid and ashamed of Ethiopia for their expectations and Egypt for their glory. And the inhabitants of this shall say in the day, Behold, such is our ex- expectations, whether we flee for help to be delivered from the king of Assyria, how shall we escape? God was trying in this, the, the things that he had him do to show you can't trust Egypt, you can't trust Ethiopia, there's no point in running to them. They can't help you. That that what they have will not help. It's like a lot of things that happen today. What we see is not really always the truth. Is I mean, you think about news promises. They they promise you this. They promise you that. Like that stimulus package I told you about. Okay, here's two thousand dollars. Guess how we're going to pay for it? You can't always trust in that. You know, I, I like, you know, here came a stimulus package to help the economy. What did people do? Walmart put out big screen TVs the first day they announced it. President Gallum say, y'all use this to pay your bills. Help the economy out a little bit. Y'all want to buy a 65-inch television? After that, Next day, hey, you gonna pay your rent? I just bought a 65 inch television, won't come watch it. You know, uh, think of some of the promises that that you heard on the news media that you know there was no way. My favorite, don't worry, you're not gonna be kicked out because you don't pay your rent. Don't worry, they're not gonna turn your power off because you don't pay your power bill. And then people are going, they kicked us out, we had no power but I bought a 65-inch television. <laughs> I can't watch, yeah. 
So you know, you've got to be careful what you trust. And that's what the same thing here. Don't trust Egypt. Don't trust Ethiopia. They came to you, Israel. They came to you and they offered you all kind of help. But in truth and reality, Ethiopia is starving to death and Egypt's fighting in amongst themselves. You just don't see it because all you see is what you want to see. They say, "How I, I like what it is. They're going to finally look. They're going to say, well, how can we escape? Where are we going to go? In verse 6, you know, uh, the inhabitants of the isles shall say in that day, Behold, such is our expectation. Whether we flee for help, be delivered from the king of Assyria, how shall we escape? Everything we trusted in didn't work. They didn't, they didn't trust in God. And, and so throughout all these chapters, he keeps trying to tell them the same thing over and over. You know, Isaiah walk this way, try to show them, try to tell them they've got to humble themselves. So Isaiah walked, it's not like he just stripped his clothes off, walked around, didn't say that. He told them, we need to humble ourselves before God. We need to put on the sackcloth and ashes. We need to repent. Here's a man, if anyone talk about humbling himself, he's walking around the city dressed like this. He's humbling himself, telling people about God. And yet they refuse to listen. You know, what, listen to this. One says, one need not imagine that Isaiah walked around stripped for the entire three years or that Ezekiel lay on his side for 390 days without getting up. Perhaps the part of each day was used for those designated purposes, what Wolf said. And, but then he goes back, he said, but on the other hand, I can see someone who loves the Lord doing what God tells them to do. He says other prophets were asked to do different things. Hosea had a marriage. Look what God told him to do. Marry a prostitute. She ain't gonna love you. She's gonna constantly leave you. You're gonna have kids. You're gonna give them horrible names. You know, and he did. Ezekiel's wife died. God took his wife and she died for a point for the nation to look. He wasn't to mourn. So he, he gives them all these different signs and he, he's wanting them to, to understand that there's only one thing you can do and that's to trust in the God. He goes in, he does tell them in chapter 21 in verses one through 10, he tells them that Babylon's gonna be destroyed. You know, Isaiah warns his audience that, that they shouldn't trust anybody but God. Don't flee to Babylon. Babylon's not going to rescue you. Uh, he goes, he tells them, Duma in, in chapter 21, verses 11 through 17, he, he calls it, he says, the burden of Duma. He says, he calls out, out a seer, the watchman of the might, the watchman of the what might, that basically this is, Duma is the son of Ishmael who founded the Ishmaelite tribe of Arabia. The Saudi Arabians are not going to help you. We're going to stop here because I want to pick up on chapter 22. And we're going to look at chapter 22 a little bit next week because it talks about uh, Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. 
So we're almost through the, this part before we get to a, a totally different. I, I didn't want to go through each one of them because it's a repeat. It's a repeat over and over and over of each of these nations as he describes the horrible things that's going to happen to them. And it was a picture for Israel to look at these nations to realize that these nations who seemed strong, who seemed like they had everything, had nothing because they didn't have God. You're my chosen people, he's telling them, but you're not listening to me. You're listening to all these other people. I'm fixing to wipe them out so you'll see that they don't have what you want. Because, you know, Israel looked at each one of these nations. He, they looked at Egypt, Ethiopia, Saudi Arabia, uh, all these different places. And they did like most people. The grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. Why is the grass always greener? Usually the septic tank's backed up. And he wanted them to understand that it's not as good as you think it is. So this is a prophecy for Israel? Yeah. And every one of these nations failed the way he described in the book. And it was a prompt. This is going to happen to you because you won't listen to me. You know, uh, I've listened to some people. Some people say, well, God of the Old Testament was so cruel. But he's not. He's trying his best to get their attention. Just like today. You you think, uh, people think, well, God, where is God in the midst of a pandemic? Where is God in the midst of all these abortions? Where is God? He's right there, but everybody's ignoring him. Yeah. He's right where we left him. Yeah. I was listening to this guy talk about the difference in the church in the last 30 years. And he said, do y'all remember when you used to go knock on people's doors and they would understand why you were there? He said, there was a basic knowledge of who God was. He said, you go knock on people's doors today and invite them to church. He says, one, they might shoot you because you're knocking on their door. He said, but the majority of people don't have the basic idea of who God is anymore. The same thing happened back then. To start off with, they had a basic knowledge. Here, here in one country, the, 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 that one I just talked about, the Saudis, the Arabians, they were from Ishmael. Ishmael had been taught who God was, but his people abandoned them. They knew, but they quit. America knows, but we quit. So when the church now has to, how do we reach people who are now, the, the new word for them are nuns, N-O-N-E-S. The reason that word, they don't none, they know none about God. Yeah. So how do you reach them? They're searching, but then they look and they says, I don't want to trust what you say is right. They didn't want to listen to what Isaiah said. It's not helping. I prayed, it didn't help. Well, God's not a magic lamp that you rub. He's not a genie. He is a God who says, I love you. I will do anything for you. 
but you've got to love me. I'm here for you. I will help you. I will bless you. But I'm not going to force myself on you. You've got to make that decision. Israel, I've given you signs. I will wipe these people out. You know I can do it. You've seen me do it before. I used an ocean. I've used plagues. But you got to trust me. And they didn't want to do it. And that's why that's why Isaiah seems so cruel there, but he's not. He's showing how much you love. I will do anything to get your attention. He's trying to get America's attention now. But America continues to look elsewhere. As Julie said, they're looking for anything spiritual that's not. That's not spiritual. Yeah. They, you know. Uh, Just like he said in that one chapter, he says there's going to be times that you're not going to trust the things that you made because they're gods they made, were sensual gods, pleasing gods. They worshipped a tree, a pole, a statue of a bull. You know, anything that made them happy, but nobody wants to surrender. I think it's the idea of this. If I surrender to God, I don't have control of my life. You definitely don't get, yeah, you don't have control of your life as it is. But he, he's trying his best. The God of the Old Testament was a God of love, and he showed it in his ability and what he would do to get someone's attention. You got a child, you'll do anything you can to get that child's attention. Does it always work? No. Do you still love them? Yeah. Do you get to where you can't do nothing for them? Yeah. But you still love them. And you would do anything you could to help them. But sometimes they won't listen. And that's what the book of Isaiah is. See, you know, most churches today, you go to them and they're just dead. I mean, they do things that look good and sounds good, but there's no spiritual in there. I've been in I know I want to get them walk out. Sometimes I do. I embarrass my family. I mean, I'm sitting there and I'm not getting anything out of it. And the music, I can't understand it. So why should I sit there and be tortured? Well, a lot of it, sometimes it, it's, it's, and I'm going to hate to say it like this, there's a lot of them who, everybody loves the services where the Holy Spirit shows up, and preacher don't have to preach, you know, and you, we've all been, a, the song service takes over, the Holy Spirit gets moving, people start coming down the altar, it's a great thing, but you know what, that doesn't happen every service, but there's a lot of ones that want to orchestrate that, I'm going to orchestrate it, and Make it look like that. With the Holy Spirit right there. But it's like this too. If you're not getting fed, if you're not learning, if you're not coming under conviction of the Holy Spirit, what's happening? What is your basis for your beliefs? If you don't understand the Bible, after you've been in church all your life, what have you learned? And that's, that's the problem with a lot of places.